Welcome to the 70th episode, The ROI of Yoga. This is a follow-up episode of the last one where I had the opportunity to speak with Laurie Palmer about applied neuroscience and how we can see yoga through that lens. In this episode, we get the chance to speak a little bit about her coming up book, Starting with the Heart. Enjoy. Yeah, thank you very much. I think it was very interesting how you linked it with uh, um, uh, psychoanalysis, uh, of which uh, um, uh, I, I really believe it, it can be very useful. Yet, uh, I, um, uh, I believe that uh, Carl Jung said that uh, prior to going into psychotherapist mat, one needs to go to a yoga mat, uh, sorry, to a psychotherapist couch, one needs uh, to first uh, go into the yoga mat. Not know that quote, but that's brilliant, and it's right. I I, I think <laughs> you have said it. You know, sometimes we don't know the validity of these uh, things, but right. I, I think that uh, yeah, it, it is in line with what uh, you're saying. Maybe like on a physical level, maybe detach of some of the um, problems that they are facing at the at this at, the, at this stage. Um, uh, you mentioned three things a few times. You mentioned proprioception, balance, and uh, visual work. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I don't know if these are three of uh, a series of other things, or these are the three key pillars of uh, um, applied neuroscience. Um, I would like us to, uh, I would like you to tell us a little bit more about that. And uh, again, at the risk of oversimplifying things, I would like maybe to give one exercise for each one of these that can help people, because I think anyone listening at this stage must be convinced, otherwise they would have switched off, that uh, what you're saying has, uh, uh, is very powerful and can have uh, an effect, not just into how they practice yoga, but basically how they live life, how they get, go about living their life. So if you could give uh, like one such uh, example, but first tell us, is that the three pillars or is there more to it? Those are the three key things when we look at um, the sensory information coming into the body. So we have a lot going on in our brain in terms of our story mindset, creating perception, but the information coming into the body is from proprioception, and from our, our skin and that sensory and also where's our body in space, our eyes, what we see, that's a huge amount of information coming into the brain. And then where is our body in orientation to gravity? So where am I in space? Where is my right hand versus where is my left hand? But also where am I? Am I right side up or upside down or am I sideways? Am I spinning? Where am I relative to gravity and to the planet? Those are the three ways we look at the sensory information. All of that information has to come through your story. What in science, it's actually the, it's the reticular activating system is a filter that the brain is filtering everything that comes in, there's 400 billion bits, 400 billion bits. That's a lot of information every single second. The reticular activating system filters it down to about 4,000. And then it goes through a few other processes before we get it to our frontal lobe. So 
what's interesting is that our our sensory our proprioception goes through that filter people don't realize that i mean it eventually it does so we've got the primal brain though but it's deciding what is going to even be available to go through for you to have a thought about something so in yoga we have the ability to work on those three things proprioception vision and balance if i can work on that sensory information it gives my brain the ability to understand more about where i am so then it reduces threat and then all of the other things that i've got going on in my head I now have space to work on them because we have to address both ultimately, you know, the grand scheme of things. So for proprioception, um, and the thing with applied neurology is that you're always testing what works in your body. And so you can do that by performing a range of motion. Um, so I'm on the camera right now, so I'll do one that's easy for you to see. Um, I can just do cervical rotation. I can turn my head to the right and then I can turn my head to the left. I now have a baseline in my body right now in this moment, it feels a little tight to me, um, in my right trap. When I turn my head to the right, I was able to set my eyes on a point in the room where I know what that rotation was. So in applied neuro neurology, we say, okay, what's your baseline right now? It could be a whole body rotation. It could be a forward fold. It could be a shoulder flexion. Okay. Say, all right. Now, does that hurt right now? Does it feel tight? Now we know your baseline. So then you can perform some proprioceptive drills. We might do ankle circles, some foot mobility, Great foot mobility before you're going to sit in hero's pose when we're mobilizing, you know, the bones on the outer and inner side of the foot, the navicular and the cuboid. Uh, maybe we give that some information. We warm all that up and then we say, okay, let's go get into this pose. Well, when we're doing that, we're warming it up. We're actually performing information that tells the brain where that part of the body is. So the warm up isn't like warm up the ankle. It's really let's move the ankle to warm up the connection to the brain so the brain has a clear map. So in that all of your proprioceptive activities and your joint movement and mobility as long as it's not threatening to you because there could be an area that your body is creating a lot of protection over. And it's like, you move that shoulder and it's like, it locks everything down. So you, if when you walk into yoga class, you feel a little tight, you start moving things. You're also breathing, which we're reducing parasympathetic, I mean, sympathetic response and increasing parasympathetic response by a good focused breathing, focusing on being in your body. A good teacher is going to guide you through all that. You're down dog by the end of class is going to be way better than your down dog at the beginning class. It's nothing magical about we warmed up the muscles. No, your brain and your body got more connected. And so it says you have more range of motion. 
will let you have longer hamstrings. Minute by minute, that's what the brain is doing. So all of your proprioceptive stuff, um, doing joint mobility is you're experiencing all the time. If it gives you more range of motion or a pain-free movement, then you know it's working for you. If that activity reduces your range of motion or gives you a sensation of pain, then you know for whatever reason that was threatening. Uh, when it comes to balance, um, knowing where you are in space, the one thing about yoga that can be tricky is if we're asking people to do a balancing pose and we don't know if that person has a vestibular imbalance, which is the inner ear talking to the brain, they could have a threatening response after doing a balance pose. So you could do tree, do a forward fold, see what your current range of motion is. Do tree on the left side. Now try your forward fold. Do you get a greater range of motion or less range of motion? If you got greater, that means that side with your balance, with your fixed gaze, your brain liked it. If you have less range of motion, it indicates that was threatening. Balancing was threatening. Therefore, there is some vestibular imbalance and we might need to work on that, which there are drills we can do to retrain the vestibular system. So it's moment by moment, you knowing when I did something, did I feel better or did I feel worse? And knowing to test, that tells you where your brain needs more information or, or doesn't need more information. So even with the vestibular, I mean, with the vision drill of setting your focused gaze, um, if you are doing a warrior two and you have a focused gaze off of one, actually, even if you were just in a seated pose where you were asked to focus your drishti on one spot, if your vision is poor, you normally wear glasses, you don't have your contacts in, um, all sorts of things that could actually cause threat for your eyes to be held in one state, one space. And a teacher would be able to notice that because they would see someone blinking a lot. They would see their eyes starting to waver. You would see their jaw starting to tighten. You would see it harder for them to be able to take a full breath. All of these symptoms would show up because the brain would say, stop staring in one place. And it gives you all of these signals. So for someone to figure that out for themselves, to say, it relaxes me when I set my gaze on one spot, that's good. If it doesn't relax you, it means... We need to work on your vision. There's some disconnect there because in an optimal state, it would reduce threat. If it is causing threat in you, then it means there's a disconnect. So it's hard to say, here, do this thing and test this. But really the key is the next time you get on a yoga mat and you're in class, do a check-in. Start with, how does my forward fold feel? How does maybe my cervical rotation feel? How does my down dog feel? Take a snapshot. Do something. Perform a drill. Perform a breathing drill. Perform a movement drill. Perform a sequence. And then test again. If you got better, had more range of motion, less pain, then you know whatever you just did was working for you. 
And then that's really the key to understanding your nervous system is to spend time with what makes me feel better, what makes me feel worse. There's a reason your body's telling you to stop doing something. We need to figure that out. Th thank you. Would uh, you say that uh, the reason why a lot of people, and uh, I would I would almost be certain uh, uh, that you have noticed that yourself, students perform they or they yeah they perform better or they can do more things in the presence of their teacher is because they feel safer and as a result they can perform more as opposed to just the teacher has a magic aura around them and uh, they pass on the, the spell uh yeah i would say yes there is um anytime we feel safe we will always perform better always 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 and safety is the right we're just on the balance so like even on things that you would think flexibility or strength is the key element mm -hmm. but uh, it is actually that it, it there is not like it comes back a little bit to the previous thing that we were discussing about of the threat but it, it i yeah would you say that yeah so yeah because i i mean i could definitely say i've I've seen this even in myself, but definitely with students. I mean, I have a, a home practice, but when I am practicing in a studio and maybe I'm taking on a more challenging um, handstand where you have the guidance of an instructor who is telling you, talking you through everything, you feel safe because they are assisting you the entire process. And then you go home to practice on your own. And it's like, ah, I feel a little more nervous. My body's a little more tight. It builds up a, a restriction based on safety factors. Um, so absolutely, the teacher can be there as a sense of I'm being guided. I don't have to think about what's coming next. I trust the teachers holding space with an optimal flow with all this guidance that is keeping me safe. There is an understanding of walking into a yoga class that I will be in a safe place. A lot of instructors, I, I know I do, but I've also practiced with brilliant teachers all over the world, cultivate that safe space from the very beginning. They tell you Remember, you're here to just breathe and be in your body. What you do is okay. You know, that the uh, permission to listen to your body, where a lot of people, when they're new to it, they don't even know what that means. They don't know how to listen to their body because they don't even know where it is. But just the idea of, oh, I have wisdom that I, I know what's right for me and that's okay. That does start to create safety that when you're off on your own, <laughs> you have a little bit of doubt, a little bit of worry. You're also in a different location that maybe is there are other things in a room that you can bump into that you could knock over. You also have stressors from different sounds and people that are going to come into the room while you're trying to meditate. Where when you're at a yoga class, none of that is there. It is a very protected space. No one's bursting into the room. You know you're going to be able to sit and breathe with your eyes closed in Shavasana and no one is going to hurt you. You can't do that on the sidewalk outside the grocery store. You can't lay in Shavasana there. Your body will not let you because that is unsafe. You will get walked on. 
where in the world can you go lay with other people in a room and let your body go on the floor? Pretty much just yoga. <laughs> so there is something about the teacher holding safe space, but also the place and what you're doing and sharing the activity with others that have uh, respect for that, that creates a sense of safety that will automatically open up more potential for you to practice. Yeah. I, I think that uh, this is a connection I've never ma made before. And uh, thank you very much for ra raising that because uh, I can testify that uh, this is, as I said, I have observed it a lot in my students. A lot of the times I would have to say, of course you would expect to prefer to do 20% better now you're with me. Because over the last 10 years, something I've seen time and again. Right. But even with Hansons, which is a big part of my uh, teaching slash practice with my current coach who is online, I would still, you know, he's not spotting me physically. He cannot spot over Zoom. Nonetheless, I think there is this element that you are describing so um, nicely that manifests on a very apt level. It's like it's something is happening on a very physical level that requires proprioception, that requires balance recruit to some extent uh, the, vi the visual uh, system. Uh, well, and the, the vis visual and vestibular system, certainly when you're going upside down, vis vestibular is huge in inversions. Yeah. And having an online coach, if you're working with him and he's watching you, your brain knows I'm going to get feedback. So let's try this. And then he'll say, oh, try this, press your hands down, do... Even knowing the experience is going to provide feedback and it's useful because you are learning what works and what doesn't work and the brain doesn't have to do as much trial and error on its own, absolutely creates a more safe environment because it really is all about how threatening is this. It's more threatening when you don't know what you're doing and you're trying to do it by yourself than when you're guided by a practitioner or coach that says, we're going to figure this out and I'm going to keep you safe because I will recognize when you're ready to do more and I'm going to teach you and I'm going to help you build on that. And you, you go, oh, well, that feels so much better because it's less threat. Yeah. Th th thank you very much, uh, Laurie. Uh, as I was expecting, this is going to be an eye-opening uh, conversation for me. I hope it is uh, for the people listening. Uh, can we move on to, to pain? And uh, I think in a way, for those of uh, the listeners that have been paying attention, you basically have answered uh, a lot of what we will be touching on now. But I think pain is something that is, uh, is big. Yeah, it can be debilitating. It can be, uh, unfortunately, something that people identify with. I, I, if I, if I uh, read between... Uh, the word between the lines uh, earlier on you kind of implied and correct me i mean maybe i'm wrong but there are people that identify with pain and the, 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 it becomes part of their story yes okay <laughs> okay so i didn't misunderstood you so no. I, that's something that i i think happens unfortunately too often and of course it's not an empowering uh, story to have at all to feel i'm in pain i have uh, a painful shoulder i i, I lived 20 years with it I'm going to die with it. So can you tell us uh, a little bit more about uh, how applied neurology and, uh, um, and yoga and uh, everything else that uh, you use can be useful 
for people with pain? So we have we have the directions that our body can go where it's safety, which is always first and foremost. It will this kill me? If the answer is no, then you can have performance. On that safety side, which is always the first way that the brain is interpreting everything. Is this safe? Will I die? That is the number one goal of the brain. Keep you alive. Because it's not the logical brain, we're talking about the primal brain in the back, the brain stem. We're not talking about making sense of it. Like, oh, that's just a cat. It's not going to hurt me. This brain isn't doing any of that. <laughs> Um, thinking. It doesn't think, it senses information and creates an output constantly. Now, part of that does run through our filter and our story, and then we interpret more information once we've had a chance. But the sensory body is just constantly, is this going to kill you? Is this going to not kill you? If it thinks something's threatening, and I say thinks in a loose way, meaning it interpreted that it was threatening based on nervous system patterns and the rest of the threat, pain is an output. Pain is just a result. It is a signal that the primal brain is sending to make you stop doing something. The number of people that I think it's Let's, let's say I've got back pain. I have a bulging disc, right? People are like, I have a bulging disc and I have, my, I have back. And it, 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 10 years ago, it happened. And, and I've got back pain, so I can't do this thing. I think they've shown it's something in the like 90% range. Uh, when they do an MRI for some other reason, 90% of people have some kind of bulging disc and no pain. And then the number of people that have pain with nothing actually wrong that they can find is fascinating. So when we look at pain education and we really start to look at the data, you realize there, it's, there's almost no real match between where you're hurting in your body and what's actually wrong with the nervous system information. So people are like, I tore my knee 10 years ago and therefore it's always going to hurt. And it's like, well, no, the soft tissue healed. If you just tore your knee, yes, you're going to have pain because your body's going to say, don't do anything. It might kill us, even though really it's not going to kill you, but the primal brain thinks it will. And so it sends that signal. It sends the signal of pain. Once soft tissue is healed and you don't have an actual acute soft tissue injury, but you have pain in your body on moving a certain way or doing a certain thing. The shoulder was a great example. People are like, oh, I can't do that pose. I can't do down dog, my shoulder hurts. But I'd be curious to know, did that person, were they able to take a mug out of the dishwasher and put it into their uh, cabinet without it hurting? Huh. So it doesn't hurt every single time you move your shoulder. It only hurts sometimes. Anytime you have a pain like that, any pain like that, that hurts sometimes and not all the time, that's, let's dig into the nervous system. What's going on? If you also have a pain that says, every time I move my shoulder this way, literally every single time, but we've determined there's no soft tissue damage, 
that's also still nervous system. For some reason, it's mapped that area and says, hey, don't do that. So if we can look at whatever the pain is in a person, your knee pain can be different than my knee pain, my shoulder pain, different than your shoulder pain. When we look at that person's collection of inputs, what are all the inputs coming in? The output is pain. Let's change an input. Let's change an input by for your right shoulder. If your right shoulder is hurting, I'll actually say, let's work on your left hip. Let's give your brain some information over there. Let's go to a non-painful area. Give your brain some information. And now let's see, do you still have pain? Oh, no, it kind of went away. That's how we start to unweave the pain in, you know, going through the body. Now, people do get very attached to their pain because it gives them, I'm going to be tough love here. It gives them an out. <laughs> it gives them an out for a lot of things. Their headaches give them an out to not have to attend a meeting or to deal with a stressful, you know, parent-child conference. Their knee pain that lets them walk up and down stairs and take a walk out to the car and go to the grocery store without pain gets them out of doing the hard thing um, that they said they wanted to do, like, you know, power lift some squats. And now, now they, they don't have to do that thing. The brain is constantly looking for, this is too stressful for you. So I'm going to create pain. So you stop. And then we do get stuck in a loop. The brain and the nervous system get stuck in a loop. Sometimes people really want that pain. Other times people want to get rid of it. They really want to be pain-free, but the loop has become so strong that they don't see a way out. And that's where in pain management and pain education, the big, um, the big thing is the minute when you have pain, stop doing what you're doing. Like literally stop doing what you're doing. And then we have to figure out what's causing that pain. The more informed you are about your body, you start to realize that because the more we repeat the pain, the more it gets ingrained in the nervous system. And so it can be harder to unwire, not impossible, absolutely not impossible. And with applied neurology, we, we go to all of the other things we can do, vision, vestibular system, mobility, and other areas of the body to start to decrease that threat. And then we also work with the whole person, nutrition, rest, sleep, breathing, um, their parasympathetic response, resilience, whether or not they're in coherence, heart rate variability. There's a whole host of other things we can bring in to continue to reduce threat. And when threat is reduced, pain goes away. Pain is just a signal that the threat bucket is full. So we have to get the threat down. When we do, pain goes away. Um, now there's a couple types of pain. Um, we've got pain that's more, you know, in our body. Um, that's um, nociceptive pain is what we call it, meaning it's following a brain pathway that says it's the same kind of pathways that proprioception, where am I? It's just 
It's perception, it's percepting the world. Pain is one of the ways we perceive the world. So it can be in our body and it can also be visceral like our organs and things like that. We also have some pain that isn't using that pathway and it's actual nervous system, you know, nerve damage. That's a little trickier. It's also more rare. Most people's pain falls under just somatic body pain or a non-nociceptive way of pain, non-pathway is um, the sympathetic response. That's that fight or flight response to a Facebook post, to what their boss said, to all those other things. Like you can have that attack and have a fight or flight response sympathetically and then have pain later because of an emotional sympathetic response. So breathing drills, other ways to reduce sympathetic um, response that keep us in a more fight, uh, rest and digest mode is going to reduce pain somewhere else in the body, um, depending on the kind of pain that it is. So as long as it's not nerve, actual nerve damage, which is fairly rare, that one becomes a little trickier. Other than that, we can get in through the body or through the nervous system <laughs> to manage that pain. I think, I think, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, thanks a lot for how you grouped the different categories and uh, how you made the link uh, uh, also in regards to what we are capable of doing in order to help its category. Um, one of the thing, reasons why a, a lot of breathing exercises uh, uh, or in general, just uh, uh, any breathing practice has been shown to improve pain is because I think what, what you said, shifting the body into a more parasympathetic state. Mm -hmm. Stress, there are uh, sensors in the lungs that uh, will um, uh, yeah, uh, activate the parasympathetic nervous system and uh, yeah. will shut down some of the pathways that are firing. Um, with, with that in mind, uh, you, you said that, uh, I, um, I, I, sorry, with that in mind, I would like us to speak a little bit about um, this idea between uh, uh, how we can break some of the loops that uh, uh, you have already discussed. We have already spoken a few times about uh, uh, neurological pathways running, and uh, I'm sure we have many of them. Some support us towards our goals. Some of them are counterproductive. And I know that visualizations and uh, I don't know about affirma affirmations as well, potentially can uh, be an, uh, a tool that we can use. And I know that you have some very uh, great ideas on how these uh, uh, can be used. And I would like us to share that with us. Yeah, so when we have, um, remember when I talked about the old brain, mm -hmm. the, we've got the primal brain, which is the brain stem that is getting all the sensory information. And then we have the reticular activating system that then lets information come through for us to be able to think about. That comes to the new brain, our cortex, where we uh, are creative and where we have our identity and where we get to think about things and where we can visualize, where we can imagine, where we can tell a story that I am empowered or I'm weak. Those are both a story. So, um, in understanding that we can 
on the primal brain side, we can work with inputs from our body to make the information that's coming in be one that's safe. So that's the body up uh, approach. Let's get into the body, let's create safety. That top down that I talked about earlier, we go into the mind. We also have to work with this piece. It's just, do we work with it first or second? Once you allow yourself to have the idea that I'm just telling a story. Who I am is just a story. It's just a collection of memories, and ideas and these beliefs of who I am and what I can do. We, in and yoga is brilliant at, at creating this space of observer to be able to set back and just realize that it's just a story. When you realize it's just a story and that the thoughts that are running through your head do not have to run on autopilot. In a lot of people, they are just running on autopilot. But when you're given the information that says you can change what you're thinking and that by changing what you're thinking, you're going to change what your body perceives and therefore you will change the entire results of everything you do. And that if right now in your life, you have results that you don't like, financial results, relationship results, health results, performance results, they're just results. They're results of whatever you are doing. They're not results of what's happening in the world. They're always results of what you are doing because you're perceiving it as good or bad. So in thinking, we have to change the belief underneath that story or identity to create a different pattern to get a different result. A lot of people wanna go and just change the result. I mean, like, I wanna focus on this thing out here. And it's like, well, what is the story you're telling yourself about that? So once you realize you have power in your mind to change the story, you can say, well, what do I believe about this thing? Maybe I believe that I'm not capable of doing crow pose. Let's just take that for example. That's your story. I'll never be able to do crow. I'm just not built for it. Um, maybe, you know, your body frame is a little bulkier and heavier than some of the people that you see doing it. And, you know, you're, we're never an athlete and you decide I'm never going to be able to do crow. Well, if you keep saying, I'm never going to be able to do crow, then you're right. <laughs> there's, there's something to that. But if you realize that that thought is actually what's causing the limitation and you're given this doorway into, wait a minute, that thought is getting me the result of not doing crow. Yes, the thought, I can never do crow, is what's giving you the result. So if we change the thought to, I'm building the skills to be able to do crow. Okay, now there's the possibility. Now we've just opened the door. I'm building the skills to be able to do crow because you are, if you're going to a yoga class and you're working on wrist strength and balance and core strength and all, you are building the skills to be able to do crow. Now, if we went from, I'm never going to be able to do crow to, I can absolutely do crow for five minutes. 
that's a big jump. And the brain is going to go, I'm calling BS on that. I don't even see how that's possible. So that's where, you know, when you mentioned affirmations, we can't just jump all the way over to this thing that the brain doesn't actually believe is possible. But when we create a thought that says I'm building the skills, then I can start using visualization and imagination. Now, I can't visualize. The definition of visualizing is repeating something that I have done. That's visualizing. If I've never done crow, but I've tried and I've only seen myself flop and fall, afraid to fall on my face, <laughs> afraid to fall backward, afraid to all the things that happen when you're in that very awkward pose. I can't visualize myself doing it because I haven't done it yet. But I've seen other people in my class doing it. So I can tap into an area of my brain that is called imagination. And I can start imagining myself doing that. And I can layer in all the skills. I'm building the skills to do crow. I have strong hands. I do have strong hands. They hold, look at, look at them hold me up. You start to also now create affirmations of things that you're vision, that you're seeing in your body. And, um, you know, I do have core strength because you practice it in boat or in another pose and you start to tap into all these areas where your story told you you didn't have something. And now you start weaving together your successes uh, in my coaching calls, counting your wins, find all the wins. Where are you winning? And then we stack all those up for you to be able to build an imagination of seeing yourself in your imagination, performing that drill, performing that pose, pulling up into it, the smoothness of your breath, because you know how to have smooth breath. You know how your hands feel on the mat. You know how your core can feel when you lift. You just haven't put it all together yet. By starting to do that, you're telling your body and all that sensory information, because it kind of can go both ways. It's like senses are sending stuff into the old brain and it's going through the story. Well, that story can say, hey, when we get this new information coming in, let's try doing this with it instead. Instead of it feeling threatening, this is exciting because we're safe, we're trusting that everything's okay, We've got this, we're building it on. And then you're telling yourself, I'm building the skills. I'm getting stronger. I, you know, and then one day it's, I can do crow because now you've weaved it all together. So when people do affirmation or work where they haven't really said, what is my fundamental belief in the beginning? And now I have to start to unweave that and tell a different story to build to an affirmation I can believe, then it won't work. <laughs> so, yeah. It, but it is powerful and it is a huge part of how we can expand our abilities is to go into the story. We can't just go in through the body. We've got, you know, really our limiting um, belief is, is up here. Uh, but once you know it, and then you know you can change it, but just like the pain, people like their story. <laughs> they like to hold on to it. And, you know? uh, I, I think, uh, you know, it would be interesting to know what uh, you have noticed. 
there is a fear of uh, many things that can be threatening uh, uh, objectively, but there is fear of success as well. Oh, because yes. Success <laughs> brings change, it's unavoidable. If I'm able to start practicing Crow when until now I was not, what's next? Right. What does it mean? Is, am <laughs> I going to be expected every time in every class to do a crow? And then I would be asked to do even like a one-legged crow and maybe like a handstand. Holy moly, this is very scary. So we kind of, I, yeah, have it, yeah? Yes, no, it's very, very true. Um, we, I call it, it's creating problems we don't even have yet. <laughs> yeah. But our, 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 brain does start to run ahead um you know this happens you know in work where we self-sabotage um before you even get a promotion before you even accomplish the physical feat because yes once i'm there then i have to do more more will be expected of me more eyes will be on me and then if what if i can't what if i get there and i fail at that and it is a protective mechanism it's just like pain just like physical pain, it's the brain creating the story to try to protect you because it feels when you start going forward like that, it's like, oh dear, we're going to die. It, 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 everything bad equates to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just equates to death in the brain. And I find that when people haven't been through Everyone's been through challenges, but I do find that the greater the challenge that you've overcome, it gives you greater space to tap into overcoming fear before it ever shows up. And so sometimes people are deliberately choosing a challenge. Let's say a tough, like a handstand in the middle of the room. They're choosing a physical challenge and in their life, maybe they haven't really overcome something. They haven't equated anything big like that. They have that. not equated because I think they have already overcome all of them. They've overcome. It really is about equating. They have not create, realized that they have already done something that very few people have managed. Exactly. And I've, once you have that realization of, oh, when I'm faced with hard things, I do always find a way to do it the as much as the brain wants to keep you alive when you tap into this it is a problem solver it wants to solve the problems you know it's brilliant um and so we you have the ability but yes you haven't equated to i've overcome that challenge before in a different way so that's where focusing your thought understanding what's my underlying belief what am i thinking right now and how is that helping me achieve the goal? Well, when it has, I can't, I won't, I can't, whatever, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, blah, 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 all that stuff. If we don't find a way to rewrite that and then give you an opportunity to start seeing the things you can build on and learn on and do, because things don't happen overnight, um, you won't achieve the success. Or if you do achieve the success by accident, somehow you know not to trust it because it wasn't done on a foundation where you actually believed that it was possible. So the brain 
the brain is important. <laughs> Our story, really important to get in there and uh, understand its language. How is it talking to you? What is the underlying thing? And yeah, you have accomplished a lot. Everyone has. Everyone has. Everyone's amazing. I believe that. And it's like, hey, let's help you find that so you can tap into that so that you can do handstand because it does feel pretty cool when you get there. There's, <laughs> there's that burst of, wow, I did this thing. And now I can go do more. So. Lori, uh, uh, the brain is amazing, but so is the heart. And the heart is uh, the topic of uh, your My book. book. Yes. Which is actually yeah. a, a having the heart in the title, Start with the Heart. Start I would like to speak a little yeah. bit more about uh, your book. Because yes, you so have already spoken to me and uh, I, I think it is going to be an amazing book. Uh, with three sections, uh, lots of practical uh, applications. So I want to, to yeah. tell us more about it. Yeah, so it's, yeah, we, we've talked a lot about the brain today and the nervous system, but what a lot of, I think, mainstream everything, it's like, this is above everything. It's like, because this is our intelligence and our intellect, we think this is, Ah, the brain is so amazing, which it is. And I hold it in reverence. But the heart, the heart is a powerful organ. And so in Start With Heart, I'm really guiding readers to say, if I don't know where to start with a question, what if I started with heart first? So when we look at heart as the muscle, that is this amazing organ that is a vortex spinning blood through our body, through our circulatory system to our skin. I mean, you wanna know like, what is the shape of a heart? Look at a human body like this. My heart is my entire body. My lungs are breathing in this amazingly rich oxygen and my heart is pumping through every second, all day long, in and out life. My brain can stop working and my body can stay alive. You know, the essence, I, I don't know where it goes at that point, but my heart can keep my body alive. It doesn't work the other way around. The heart stops, brain is gone. So the heart formed first. The heart was the first organ when we were tiny little embryos. And I really think it is the first place we need to start because it is keeping this absolutely brilliant biological machine that we get to walk around in alive. And it also is a brain, which a lot of people don't know. There's a collection of neurons in the heart. There's a whole field called neurocardiology that looks at the heart intelligence. And when you've had that feeling of you know, you just knew you were connected to someone and you couldn't place it. Like you can even point your hand and be like, I can't quite place it, but I can feel it. It's because your heart is communicating. 80% of the information in your heart is going up to your brain. 80% all day long. Your heart is informing this brain that's making decisions, but where's it getting the information from? Your amazing body, your senses, and your heart. And then it does something. So 
most of the information's starting here anyway. So if you can learn how to come down and tap into that collective intelligence that's there, the wisdom in your heart. So we explore that in the book, as well as the muscle, as well as the idea of um, the essence of who we are. You know, we can't in an autopsy dissect out who Lori is and who you are. We can't, we can't do that. We don't know where that is. But a lot of spiritual exploration, a lot focuses on coming back to, well, maybe there's something really special here about the heart, maybe being the center of our soul, our essence, our spirit, however you look at that you that's beyond the thing in your head. And then community, the fact that we are all connected and heart is what connects us. We have relational energetics. Our hearts are actually picking up information from body to body um, before our head ever has a say in it. And it's sending the information up to the head. This is safe. This is not safe. Your heart is resonating out and, and picking that up. So in the book, I really want readers to explore well then how do I keep this thing healthy if this thing is this so amazing how do I take care of it how do I take care of it and how I eat how do I take care of it and how I move how do I take care of it and how I breathe how do I take care of it with how I spend time in meditation in nature in what makes my heart happy my passions my families my communities and then in the end of the book we just help you build a plan with whatever facets of heart you were most compelled to to take care of your heart and when in doubt just start there start here as an answer so we we dive deep into this organ in the book in a way that just invites the reader to consider the magnificence of their heart and that when you start here the simple answers come life becomes so much easier um you don't have to overthink anything anymore because the heart always knows a lot of people don't want to ask their heart the answer like should i take that job should i not because they don't want to hear the answer that's like, oh, you need to quit. And they're like scared, but the heart's like, no, but you really need to quit. That's not the right job for you. <laughs> and so when you learn to trust that the heart is always going to lead you in the path that's really the best for you to be the most expansive being that you are, um, it really opens up the doors to a really healthy, happy, abundant life. So that's, that's the book. I'm yeah. looking forward to reading it. And uh, I think anyone listening, uh, I, I believe that by now must be convinced that if you know so much about the brain and if you have such a diverse background and you chose such a specific topic uh, uh, addressed on multiple, uh, from multiple, in multiple um, ways, the different angles to discuss about, this must be for a very good reason and must be a very fascinating uh, <laughs> book to read. So Thank you. Yes. <laughs> it is coming out. It is, it is due to come out on the fall of two of this year. Uh, yet uh, in the fall uh, right now, sometime in between September and December, I'm, I'm in rounds of editing with the publisher right now. And I will be having um, a pre-sale campaign um, towards the end of March and into April where um 
there will be opportunities to also um, secure speaking engagements uh, if uh, someone has an organization that would be that are only going to be tied to the pre-sale campaign. So with pre-sale copies of the book, then I'll do speaking and, and provide a lunch and learn for corporations and things like that. So there's a lot of opportunities uh, on the front end to uh, learn more and even uh, Become I will a links. I will put the links to your um, to your website and social media. But uh, um, nonetheless, uh, is there a, a place uh, that uh, people that uh, want to get? I, I think you're pretty much uh, fully booked at the moment in terms of one-to-one -one coaching. If I'm not wrong, yeah. My yeah, my my private client base is is pretty full. Um, you know, they're you can reach out <laughs> yeah, but right. more i have more opportunities for group coaching and group teaching um through organizations so if you have a group that you would want to do a workshop or uh speak in you know to meet the specific needs of a group maybe it's around uh, team collaboration or performance or even pain management um, even if people have their yoga studio they practice at, I am a continuing education provider for uh, yoga teachers, and I teach a lot of yoga workshops. So I try to um, now do more um, collaborative <laughs> uh, teaching when I can because my one-on-one -on -one base is pretty is pretty full right now. But and, and so the best, uh, I, uh, I mean, if someone in 2022, if someone wants to reach out to someone. I'm sure they will find the way, but which is the best way to, which is the, of all the sources of uh, contact, which is the one that you would check the most often? Uh, yeah, of all the sources, uh, probably, I mean, they can always find me on Instagram and send me a message, but if you send an email directly email. to, yeah, and I'll, I'll say the email now and then I'll give it to you to put in the link, but it's evolve uh -huh. at emergentu.com mm -hmm. is... And the best, uh, the best contact to start a conversation, whatever that is. And uh, one of the links I have for you too is also if you want to be kept up to date on the book, mm -hmm. there is a link to specifically sign up where um, I can keep you up to date on when pre-sale launches and when uh, the speaking uh, tour starts and all that stuff. So amazing! I will put all of that information in the description. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it was a big pleasure for me to have you in the call. It, was, it has been a big pleasure for me to meet you. I've only met you uh, a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I, I believe that I have already, you have already enriched my understanding of um, the human body and the nervous system and uh, how a lot of the things that I've been doing, why they really work and how they work. Well, thank you. It was an absolute pleasure to be here. I loved having a, a chat today and I look forward to um, talking again. Absolutely. Thank you very much, uh, Laurie. Thank you.